If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 1. We begin a new series today, an Advent series, and one that may not be your norm. Oftentimes, as we work our way through the Christmas season, we walk through messages that might feature certain individuals in the Christmas account. We might talk about the shepherds or the angels, Mary and Joseph and the wise men and all of those individuals that were a part of that special story. And uh, we're going to be highlighting some individuals this month that don't really get talked about at Christmas. And you might see why as we unpack this message. But this series is entitled, Unlikely Vessels. And I think you'll find this series is going to be a blessing when we reflect on Jesus' birth and his arrival to this world. So before we begin this message, I'd like to have a word of prayer. Just invite the Lord to guide us and lead us. So would you bow your heads with me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together around the Word of God. And I pray, Father, that you would speak into our hearts and lives. And Lord, that you'd guide us and direct us. I pray, Father, that you would use me to speak your word with great clarity, to hear from your spirit even here and now as I'm standing here, things that you want me to say today. I just invite your spirit to come. Help us to receive today and respond to your word. And we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Matthew is a gospel, and there's four gospels in the New Testament, and these gospels are the written accounts of Jesus' life. It's the re revelation of Jesus, if you will. And each gospel writer, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each gospel writer starts out a little bit different than the other one. So like in the book of Mark, Mark just goes right at it with John the Baptist and John baptizing Jesus. We don't get those younger years or anything like that. He's just going right into the ministry and buckle up, here we go. That's Mark. Luke, he starts out with the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus and some of the things even leading up to that. So he takes us all the way back even a little bit before the Christmas story. And the book of John starts out by talking about how the Word becomes flesh, and now this light is the light of the world. And we read that at the beginning of this service. And Matthew, he begins his book with a genealogy. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Bible, and I get to a section like a genealogy, I just kind of hunker down, rub my hands together, and I think, here we go, right? How many of you are like that? Yeah, me neither, okay? We can get to this names, and the, you can't even pronounce them, and you're like, this doesn't, I don't even know who that is. I'm sure it's in there for a reason, but right now I don't really understand why. And, you know, Matthew just kind of starts this out with a boring genealogy, one might think. But I want to encourage us to consider the reason why Matthew would start out this way. Okay, one thing we have to keep in mind is Matthew's audience, who he was originally writing to. We need to understand that he was writing to Jewish 
people. That was his primary audience at the time. And if you're trying to reveal that Jesus is the Son of God and He's the Messiah to Jews, one thing that you're going to need to prove is that Jesus is in the lineage of King David. So with Matthew understanding that, right out the gate he knows he needs to lay the groundwork for those who are reading this gospel. They want to know, if he's really the Messiah, he needs to be related to King David. And so that's how Matthew begins. He begins with the genealogy of Jesus and proving that Jesus is in a king lineage. And so keep a couple things in mind regarding genealogies and kings throughout history. A couple things we need to understand. First off, they would primarily be male-dominated lineages. You would see them written out, and they would only include the males. Another thing that we need to keep in mind is that the writer would do their best to make sure that this was as prestigious as it possibly could be. So they would make sure all of these names are included that would sort of elevate the king that you were trying to write about. Male-dominated, prestigious as possible. Right out the gate, though, Matthew throws his Jewish audience for a bit of a twist. And you'll see what happens here. Let's start here in verse 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David. It's right out the gate, trying to prove this point, and also of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Let's just stop for a second. Male-dominated prestigious as possible. And Matthew just threw in a woman who's also a prostitute. Now, if you're reading this as the Jewish audience, you might go, wait a second. Matthew, why did you just do that? Let's keep reading. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab was the father of Nation. And Nation was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Again, listing another female who also would have a history of prostitution. Matthew, what are you doing? Kind of scratch your head a little bit here. If we're trying to convince people that this is the king of kings, what are you doing? Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Okay, Matthew, she's not even a Jew. She's an outsider. 
Why do you keep doing this? Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Let's just stop there. Okay, if you know this story, we now just listed the woman that King David had an affair with. Remember that prestigious lineage we talked about? Matthew's sure doing a good job of coloring that, isn't he? We've got a couple prostitutes, we've got an outsider, we've got an affair. I mean, Matthew, if you're going to list women, how about Sarah? Or Rachel, or Rebecca. I mean, there's some other ladies here that you could throw in there that would be okay to list, right? If we're trying to make this as prestigious as possible. The only other woman that's mentioned in this genealogy is at the very end when it mentions Jesus' mother, Mary. Not only does Matthew include women in Jesus' genealogy, but he includes women whose stories... Might seem that might seem to give Jesus' genealogy a black eye. So we know it's not just Matthew writing this. The Spirit of God is the one at work here. So why would the Spirit of God lead Matthew to do this? Well, Matthew had been with Jesus for a little over three years. You know, Matthew had seen the kinds of people that Jesus was interacting with, the kinds of people that he was engaging in and ministering to. He saw it with his very eyes. I'll take it even a step further. He experienced this in his own life. And so walk with me now to Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to go to verse 9, and we're going to see the moment in Matthew's life where Jesus changed him. Let me describe to you a little bit of who Matthew was at the very moment we're going to read this. He was a tax collector. Which may not seem like a big deal, but let me help you understand a little bit of why that would have been a big deal. You see, Rome collected taxes of all these territories that they would have sort of had rule over. And so to collect these taxes, Rome would allow for tax collectors to help them out in this process. And you collect what Rome wanted, and for you to have a living, you can collect a little bit more for yourself. So we charge a certain amount for Rome, charge a certain amount for the collection fee. Rome's happy. You may not be so happy, but I'm also getting paid in the process. Can you imagine a Jew turning on his own people and starting to be a tax collector for Rome? How do you think he might be received by the people around him? Probably not looked at very highly. Almost like he betrayed his people. 
He's collecting money for Rome. He's getting some for himself. And people sort of frown upon that and look down upon those that would be tax collectors. Even so that there's times when tax collectors are like a separate category from sinners because they're just that ugly. We need to just mention them separately. Now watch what happens when Jesus encounters Matthew. Verse 9, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Look what Jesus says. Follow me. Follow me and be my disciple. Now, if you're a disciple and you're with Jesus... He just said that to a man that's betrayed a lot of your people. What would your reaction be? Wait a second. If you're going to have him start following you, I don't know if I should be following you. Is that a thought maybe that went through their mind? You're going to start including people like this, Jesus? What are people going to say? The Bible says Matthew got up and followed him. Then later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Now the disciples are in for a ride. Let's go to the guy's home. That makes total sense, right? What do you think Jesus does? He goes to this man's home. And of course, that's going to get some people talking, scratching their heads. You've got this religious crowd. They see what's going on, and they begin to question. One of the things they say in verse 11, when they saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? I think that kind of shows you how the people felt about tax collectors and sinners. Why is he associating with scum? When Jesus heard this, he stood up, and if you're there with people and you're going to defend them, my thought would be, hey, they're not scum. Back off. That would kind of be my defense. But Jesus says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. He kind of said, yeah. These are some interesting people, aren't they? And I'm with them. And then he adds, go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want to show mercy, not sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. So for Jesus to say, yeah, 
These are sinners. But they know it. And they want to be with me. Did Jesus invite himself to Matthew's house or did Matthew invite Jesus to his house? Matthew extended the invitation. He wanted to be with Jesus. He knows he's a sinner. But yet Jesus wants to be with him. So at that time, you've got a couple different crowds. You've got a group of religious leaders who think they're righteous by the things that they do. They think they have a right standing because of what I've done. This kind of mentality exists even to this day. There are people that feel if I just do enough things, maybe God will accept me. If I just do enough, maybe I can have a right relationship with God. If I'm a good enough person, maybe God will let me into heaven. It's a works mentality. And these religious leaders had that mentality. They thought they were righteous. But Jesus said, I came for those who know that they're sinners. Jesus came to kind of change things. And realizing that righteousness is not something that I've done, but I can receive righteousness based on what he did. The reason why Jesus came to this earth was to save people from sin. He did the work. He lived the perfect life. He, in obedience, went to the cross to pay the penalty and the price for sin once for all. And so I can be made right with God by receiving Jesus into my life. It's not about what I've done. It's about what he did. Jesus said, I've come not for those who think they're righteous, but for those who know that they're sinners. And in Matthew 1, if you roll back to verse 21, the Bible says that Mary will have a son. They're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came. He came to redeem those who were lost. Those who were broken. This series being unlikely vessels, some of our Christmas decor up here with the trees, we have a variety of vessels. Things that would hold things, things that would carry things, pitchers, vases, bowls, you name it. And I asked for help on this from Brady and her mom, uh, Bonnie, with the shop they have and all the items they have. And 
they helped me with these. And the day that we were kind of putting these all together to take them home, I said, you know, these are nice. If there was one that I could just break, I think that would drive home the point of my entire series. Well, a little bit later in the day, I hear a loud crash. And Judah comes running into the back room. And he thinks, I'm in trouble. And I said, it's okay, you know, calm down. And I go out there to assess the damage. And all that was on the ground was a broken vase. And he didn't even cause it. We don't think he did. It was just a ladder fell over, hit the table that had a number of these items, and knocked one over, and it completely shattered on the ground. I said, I'll use that one. Throughout this series, we'll have this up here just as a reminder. Perhaps it's a reminder of maybe a place of brokenness that you experienced in your life. But God came in and brought healing to you. Maybe something from the past. Or perhaps... Right now, there's some things in your life that are broken. And let this be a reminder that God is in the business of healing. And so each week, I'll kind of come up here and glue some of these back together. And by the end of this series... We'll have a vase. Won't be neat, perfect, put together. But it'll be whole. So why would Matthew include broken people in Jesus' genealogy? Because these are the kinds of people that Jesus came to rescue. And I want to tell you today, God can take brokenness, and he can still use it. And one of the reasons why I know that for a fact is because his genealogy proves it. Whatever the situation, whether... You caused it or it just happened, but you're in pieces. God can still take that situation and use it. He can heal it. And perhaps this message today is meeting you right at a place of brokenness. And just know that God is a God who can piece that all back together. Will you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who heals. You're a God who mends.
You're a God who can piece us back together in the midst of our brokenness. Perhaps there's someone listening right now that you feel your life is just in total pieces. And maybe you've never given God the opportunity to come and put you back together. Jesus came to save people from their sin. And if you've never called out to him to receive forgiveness and new life in Christ, I want to lead you right now in a prayer to receive him. Simply in your heart, just pray with me right now and say, Jesus, today I receive you. I want to ask for forgiveness. Cleanse me and make me new. Take my broken life and piece things together and help me to live for you from this day forward. Today I receive you as my Lord and Savior by grace, through faith, and I thank you for saving me and giving me new life. Now with every head bowed and eye closed, here in this moment, if there's someone here in this room today that just prayed with me to receive Christ, would you just simply acknowledge that with me by just lifting your hand? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Just simply lift it up and put it back down again. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for those that just prayed, whether here in this room or those watching online. Make this prayer so real in their life. And Father, I pray for every circumstance. Lord, if there is brokenness right now, I pray that you would mend. I pray that you would piece back together. I pray that you would encourage. I pray that you would bring hope. And Father, I ask that you would stir in our hearts to reach people this Advent season. There are many people who are broken and hurting. Help us to be Jesus to these people. We thank you for this time in your word today. Help us to respond and live these things out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we walk through this series, we have a song of response each week. And this song is called Broken Vessels. We're going to play this for you before we enter into this time of communion. And so as we walk through this song, just consider the lyrics and let's worship together this song, Broken Vessels.